0: Welcome to Flowcast. I'm Sister Beth Murphy. Sister Mary Thecla Kuhnlein and Sister Mary Celestine Rondelli were both born in the same year, both in central Illinois. They joined the Dominican Sisters of Springfield a few months apart and followed a similar path for ministry. They started as teachers and ended up, both of them, in 2001, in the pastoral care department at St. Dominic's Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi. And following that pattern, each one of them came home to Sacred Heart Convent in Springfield within a few months of each other in 2020. Today, I've caught up with them and persuaded them to join me in a conversation about their 67 years of active ministry and the movement of the Holy Spirit that got them from their family homes in Springfield and in Carrollton, Illinois, to the doors of Sacred Heart Convent. So welcome, Sister Celestine, and welcome, Sister Mary Thecla. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Very good. Thank you. (laughs) So we'll start with you, Sister Celestine. All right. If you could briefly just tell me How did your religious life unfold in your early years? How did you find yourself walking in the
1: door at Sacred Heart Convent? It all started when I was very, very young. When my dad brought me to cathedral grade school when I was five years old. And I was introduced to Sister Mary Blanche and uh, I just loved her to pieces. And uh, I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like the sisters but as soon as I met her. And then I went on to kindergarten and all of the grade school and and I met all the other sisters and I didn't change my mind at all. They taught me about God. They taught me about my creator. They taught me about the saints in heaven. They showed movies about St. Teresa and the the little flower and and St. Bernadette. And uh, I love that. And it, it just meant so much to me. And I, it, it my prayer life was increased during those years at the cathedral. I wanted to be like the sisters. And then I went on, to, should I go on? Mm-hmm. Then I went on to Sacred Heart Convent, to um, Sacred Heart Academy and I loved it there too, and I love the sisters. And I just uh, asked the Lord to help me to grow in my prayer life and to become like those sisters. Well, did you enter the community right out of high school? How did you, Uh, how was it that you ended up coming? uh, Tell me a little more about that. I really wanted to come right after high school, but my parents didn't want me to. And so I went to work at, well, I went to Brown's Business College for a while, and then I worked at Illinois and for about six months, I think. And then it was February was coming, and that was another entrance time. And so my family, my mom and dad, decided that, well, maybe it is time for her to go now. She can go. And so... I very happily entered the novitiate. I had Sister Mary Henry. I just adored her. I loved every minute of it, and I'm so glad I did that. I'm glad you did, too. Thank you.
0: Now, how about you, Sister Thekla? What's your story? So you grew up in Carrollton, which for people who aren't from around these parts, is a little bit of a distance from Springfield, and it's a rural
2: community. It sure is. I was out on a farm. So as the little farm girl, I started in the country school, but in fifth grade, I got to go into town. But in the meantime, I never thought where those sisters came from. I held the door for them to get out of church, you know, as a polite kid, and they all thanked me. But then after fifth grade, my sister entered the community of the Dominicans here in Springfield. And we visited her every Sunday, I mean, once a month on a Sunday. And it was during those sixth grade visits That it hit me one of those Sundays that, hmm, when I'm out of high school, this is what I'll do, too. But I didn't tell anybody about that. Then when I was in eighth grade, our associate pastor came to our house one Saturday. And he said that he had taken some girls to the Franciscans for their reception profession. And Sister Marita had said, well, why don't you take some to the Dominicans who are really going to be sisters? And my one dear brother says, well, who did she suggest? And he says, well, your sister for one. I was like, oops, (laughs) the story is out. So I just continued to be myself at home and doing my chores and being part of the 4-H club and the junior Catholic daughters and all the activities at school till after the senior year. And my mother says, well, if you're gonna go, you better tell sister that you're thinking about it. Okay, so I did. One day they wanted me to go to Springfield with them, but I thought they wanted me to drive them to Springfield, and I knew my dad wouldn't let me do that. And then they came back and said, oh, but Mother Imelda wants to see you. Oh, well, I can go do that. (laughs) So we did that in May, and I came in June. So that was pretty fast, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, yes and no. I mean, in December, Sister Mary Ursula told Mother Imelda that I was coming. That was my music teacher. And she says, oh, give her all the help you can. So she gave me voice lessons and organ lessons along with my piano lessons.
0: Well, that is nice to know. And I think that that would be something important to say because I think a, a lot of our listeners will not understand. When you say they
2: were your teachers, did you go to St. John's High School? Yes. From fifth grade on, I was at St. John's from right through the high school. The high school didn't begin to close till two years
0: after I got out. Okay. So... At St. John's Parish in Carrollton, Illinois, there was both a grade school and a high school. That's right. And both of them were uh, staffed by our sisters. Is that that's correct? That's
2: correct. The first class had my Uncle Steve in it in 1926 for high school, and the last class had my niece in it in 1956.
0: So that's really Um, A a part of our story that I think a lot of people don't know because it's been a while. It's it's 1956 since Mm -hmm. the school closed.
2: Okay. And Carrollton was the first mission out of Jacksonville. When the sisters came to Jacksonville, then the first place they went was to Carrollton.
0: So we have a very long history in Carrollton. Mm -hmm. And your family is a part of it. We are. Which is really nice. Well, thank you for helping our listeners hear a little bit about your Your stories? How is it that you ended up in the community? If we could, I'd like to have you think back and what are one or two of the things that have been constant for you throughout all your years of religious life? Whether that is some aspect of religious life or your prayer life.
1: I think you said it right there when you said prayer life. That has been very constant in my life. That's who we are, you know. We we come to community for togetherness in prayer. I've always, I I, I love to pray with with people. I love to say the rosary with some with someone. I uh, I just remember as a teenager, I would drive past the mother house with a bunch of kids in the car and uh, we were having a lot of fun and everything. And I, I remember one time I saw the, the lights on in the chapel and I had a longing to be up there with those sisters praying. I just, I just felt that that was my call. That's what I wanted to do in life. I have more time for prayer now. Since I have retired here at the Mother House, I have more time. And I think I am sitting and just contemplating more than praying petitions and you know prayers that I, I have learned. But um, it's contemplation, I think, that has taken over in my life. And that's how life changed.
0: How about you, Sister Thecla?
2: What's a constant for you in your religious life? In the beginning, I felt like I moved a lot every year, or two or three. And in each mission, I would meet new sisters, get new relationships, and different kinds of support from those sisters. And yes, we would all come together for our prayer. And I began to get to the organ so that I could keep my skills up, and then Father would say, oh, will you play for Mass? Or I helped Sister Sabina play the three Masses in the morning. I took the one in the middle because it was 7, 7.30, and 8. So playing and singing the Mass in Latin in those days um, was a, a great part of my beginning of the morning and then hopping right into school. But the new sisters that I would meet and getting part of their community life and making friendships along the way kept me going from one mission to the next. When I got two, two tickets that didn't say the same thing two years in a row, I thought, what happened? Because <laughs> I moved so quickly. When you say tickets, what do you mean? Oh, we each, each year we got a little card that had the name of where we would be for the coming year, whether you were moved or not. And I got a card that said the same thing last year's card did, And I had been moving quickly. So it was like, oh, I get to go back to the same place.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So it sounds like for you, especially in your early years, your
2: constant was change. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was two years, one, three, a double three, a three, a two, and a one, and then I got a seven.
0: (laughs) And what was that like for you when you were in a community for seven
2: years at a time? How did that change things? Well... It, I guess you'd say, settled me in, and I got involved in more things in the parish, being with the music and the liturgy. I was part of the liturgy committee and went to the nursing home when the priest would go for Holy Communion and the anointing of the sick and getting into the RCIA and different things like that, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults and all of that. You got more involved in the parish when you were there longer.
0: We often say to one another that the only constant in life is change, Mm -hmm. and that's the direction I want to go next. You made your profession of vows, both of you, in the 1950s, and within a decade of your profession, the Church's approach to life in the modern world changed dramatically in the years after the Second Vatican Council. There were some things that happened after the Second Vatican Council that people could easily see. They could see that we changed the way we prayed in church. And they could see that a lot of sisters were wearing different habits or different clothes than they were before the council. But that's, to my mind, not the; those are not the most important changes that happened after the council. So I'd like to see if you can talk about what changed in your own experience of community life and the way you lived your vows or the way you participated in ministry or the way you understood those things in those decades of the sixties and the seventies after the council, what was changing for you at that time?
1: I felt like we were able to do more, we were freer to do things that we couldn't do in the past I was able to go home and take care of my mother for two years. She was 91 years old. I just, you know, I I thought that was the most wonderful thing in the world to be able to go home and know that I was still a Dominican sister and I could come back again, you know. And mom needed some help and she was uh, forever thankful that I was there. And that meant the world to me. So I thought, you know, it was easier for us to do things like that. And I don't know, we, it seemed to me like we started driving more than we used to, you know, (laughs) more sisters had, they could drive, they had cars, more cars, and
2: we were just freer. How about you, Sister? What would you think? I recall that We began to have shared prayer groups where you would reflect on a scripture passage and different sisters in a circle group would offer their reflection. We were feeding one another, I guess you would say, at that time. And people began to have the spirit in their lives more. Mm -hmm. They called it slain in the spirit and they would speak in tongues. First time I heard that, I didn't know what was going on, that someone was well, just making an audible noise instead of speaking words like we are here. But it was the Holy Spirit leading them and leading us, pulling us all together in a deeper way. So you talk about there
0: was a movement within the Catholic Church of an attentiveness to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. that wasn't before. And you mentioned that the sisters were praying together in different ways. So We've always been dedicated to praying the liturgy of the hours. Mm -hmm. But what I heard you saying, Sister Thecla, is that there was more informal prayer that helped you to deepen your relationship with scripture and with one another, which I think those are very important
2: things that have changed the culture of religious life over the years. In the beginning, we had what was called the meditation book that we used all year, every year. And then we took the scriptures of the day or the scripture passage that came to us from whatever reason and reflected on that and how it fits into our lives. And I guess that was the part that in the mass itself, instead of having a sermon where father would give you a lesson, it was a homily of reflecting on how does this fit into your life today, this particular scripture passage. That is a major important difference, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because we used to have like the creed all year, different parts of the creed. Father would talk about it every Sunday. And another year he would talk about the commandments every Sunday because that's what the bishop gave them to talk about. But following Vatican II, we began to have homily, it was called, reflect on the scripture.
0: I I think that was, um, thank you for pointing that out because I think that, I graduated from kindergarten the year the council ended. Oh. So I have a vague <laughs> recollection of Latin Mass, but I don't have any cultural experience of what the church was like, really, before the Second Vatican Council.
1: And the priest faced the altar, not the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That was That was a major thing. Mm-hmm. So
0: that was a whole change in the way we understood ourselves in relationship to the church and the people Mm -hmm. of God. So let's move on, because I think I would love to hear the story of how both of you
1: found your way into pastoral care at St. Dominic's. Okay, I have Sister Dorothea to thank. She called me and she said, Sister Celestine, get down here to Jackson. We need you. We need you. And I couldn't go. I couldn't go because I wasn't educated for that, for pastoral care. So I had to, I studied clinical pastoral education, CPE, for two years. And I loved it. I loved it. I had a Presbyterian priest who taught me who was so good. Oh, he was just excellent. And I loved every minute of it. I didn't think I would, but. I did. And uh, then I got to go finally to Jackson. She called again and said, get yourself over here. So I went. And uh, I it was delighted. I, I thought I loved teaching, and I did love teaching every minute of it. I loved the little children. But then when I started this pastoral care, I lived it even more loved it even more and i miss it right now
0: because Uh, you've been home for two years and you haven't been doing
1: it well i have been doing it in a a little different way here i've been visiting the sick and praying with them Mm -hmm.
0: sister dorothea was the president of the hospital at the time is that correct yeah oh
1: yes (laughs) she said get yourself down here (laughs) do you have any idea why Why did she choose you and not some other sister? Well, she's in my crowd for one thing. She's in my crowd and I think she knew that, uh, I don't know. I really don't know why she chose me. Do you think maybe she saw some gifts in you? Uh, Maybe, could be. And you know what? I discovered that the Lord was calling me too and I, I felt, I felt gifted. I felt gifted. It was very, uh, pastoral care was very close to my heart. I knew this was where I should be, and I, I felt for the people. And uh, I would love to continue that work right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have mentioned that
0: you found some ways to do that here at the Mother House for the sisters here yes, who are sick. And yes. that's very
2: important. Mm-hmm.
1: That is very important. They need something like that. People are lonely. People are hurting in different ways. And they they just want company sometimes. These aren't really sick people like they were in the hospital. And, you know, we visited and prayed with the family members who were grieving. And I, I just felt that that's, that was my gift.
0: I think you're right. I think I think so. That yes. maybe you weren't expecting that call and maybe you
1: didn't no, think of it. I really wasn't, but I found out that the Lord blessed me with a compassionate spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, and think of the for so for almost twenty years mm-hmm. you were able to do that yes, ministry at Saint Dominic's 19 years mm-hmm. I was there at Saint Dominic's Mm-hmm. And Sister Mary Thekla, I, I
0: think, I don't know who went first, but within a few months of each other, you were both in Jackson. So what's sure. your
2: story? Well, I got there in January before she did. My pastoral work actually initiated when I was in Hillsboro after school and on Saturday. There was a clinical pastoral orientation offered in Litchfield, just 10 miles away. And it was Monday afternoon when I didn't have to go anywhere. So I went for that. And it was relative to the clinical pastoral education to kind of see would you like this or not? And I got to visit people in the hospital and a nursing home during the week, and I visited a few people in one of my parishes. And then I went on to Arcola and was there a couple of years and got assigned here to the motherhouse. And some way or other that summer, when I was coming in, I took my first unit of the CPE clinical pastoral education. And I was here doing driving for three years and continued then in Springfield, Missouri to get my four units. And then I went to Rogers, Arkansas for five years. And of course, Sister Dorothea called one day. (laughs) How soon can you come? Because there was an opening over there in Jackson and she didn't want someone else to fill it. And I said, well, this was mid-February Um, I think maybe I could be ready by the 1st of April. So that's what I told people. It's not an April Fool joke, but my first full day in Jackson, Mississippi will be April 1st. And that's how I got to Jackson to meet the people as I had been doing in Rogers and continue to listen and support and help them through their crisis times and their sad times and their rejoicing times and all the rest, to listen carefully to what they said and how they said it. That's pastoral care.
0: Yes, How I'm wondering, how does that change you when you move from um, teaching in a classroom, which I presume you were teaching religious education, I think, so you went from a classroom to a Religious Education Center, mm-hmm. and then from the Religious Education Centers where you're just teaching religion in lots of rural communities, right? Correct. Kind of farm communities like the one that you grew up in. Then you move into this really different setting, whether we're talking about Rogers, Arkansas, uh, St. Mary's Hospital there, or St. Dominic's in Jackson. What changed in you because of that change in ministry?
2: More of a relationship with people of all denominations, I believe, that they were more acquainted than we Catholics of praying freely from what has just been said. When we prayed, we prayed our Father and Hail Mary and glory be to the Father as Catholics. But they prayed, dear God, please help us with this situation. So I learned how to do that more freely to pray, live and listen to what someone said and incorporate that into a prayer and thank the Lord for it, that that's a special part. As Father Michael has said, someone says, if the only prayer you say in life is thank you, that's enough. So I always try to start my prayer with a thank you, Lord, that we are here and all the things that the person had told told me about.
0: That's a beautiful... Way to pray. What has been most personally satisfying to you in all of your years of pastoral ministry? I don't know if you have a story you want to share or just something that has, you know, the thing that has kept you getting out of bed every morning and and going, going over to that hospital and being present to people.
2: That there were people there who needed a word, that needed an ear, that needed someone to be present with them. And sometimes maybe it was just presence, like when you would be sitting with someone during a code, and their family members in there and really being taken care of, and you're sitting there just being quiet.
1: How about you, Sister Celestine? I think the most important thing that I learned in pastoral education was the idea of what listening really means. You don't just listen with your ears. You listen with your eyes and your facial expression and your heart. Your heart. And you take your time. And words aren't that important. Words aren't that important as what comes comes forth from you and how you treat that person, how you you look at them, and just a a touch, maybe, is so important. You know, you leave the person with the idea that somebody cares about them. You know, that's what I think I learned.
0: Good lesson. Well, now that both of you are back here at the mother house, What are you most enjoying about being at home and with your own sisters? You moved back in the middle of the pandemic, didn't you? Mm
2: -hmm. No, just before. I got here just before. In January and it started in March or early February, late February, whatever. I was glad I got here before it did. I find that being here is a great opportunity to relax and do what you would choose to do. Even though there are certain things that are required at certain times, you can just relax, and I call it play. Because nothing is work unless you'd rather be doing something else. So each thing that I do, I choose to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's good in relation to other sisters. It's good for my own relaxation, enjoyment, whatever. I say I have my crochet hook and the sewing machine. (laughs) Those are my toys. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But I also have the sisters to visit and to get acquainted with them a little bit at a time to feel them out as you did in the hospital, but differently because they're here with this same condition for the rest of their lives. And so you kind of get to know what that is and to begin to live in with that, with the particular individual.
0: So it sounds like some of your um, pastoral experience is coming in handy
2: at home, too. Oh, oh, it does, you know. What does this person need? Do they need a word or do they need a presence or do they need a ride around the house? How yeah. about you, Sister Celestine? I, I'm finding um, I'm
1: enjoying community, community. Being with the sisters and getting to know them better uh, it, you know, we're at the table three times a day, and we get to talk to different sisters. So we, we get to really get to know each other. So it's community life. I don't have a lot of jobs. I, I, there's always some somebody to help. Somebody's always asking you things, you know, or, or could you do this or could you do that? And, and I'm so glad they do because I like to be useful.
2: (laughs) I think that's true. All of us, we like to be useful. All right. Even some of the sisters who cannot do too many things, they are always looking for something to do. As one said, one day when I invited her to help push a grocery cart of things, she says, oh, you made my day.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Because, yes, I'd like to have something to do. Wonderful. Well, as
0: you are both aware, we are um, celebrating 150 years mm. of our community this year. And I'd like to end by just asking you, um, do you have a favorite story from our community history that you find either encouraging or comforting or challenging today? <laughs> you... you can't a, think of a anything, Jackson huh? story? Well, it, yes, anything. You've been around for 67 of our 150 mm-hmm. years. So if you have an old story from Jackson that you... All
2: right, Want ge- to share? Feel free. Two gentlemen, a Catholic and a non-Catholic, were riding in the car from Jackson toward the Mississippi River. And the non-Catholic says, you know, that Jackson infirmary, it's not doing very well. He says, I was in a hospital out there in Denver that Catholic sisters took care of me. He says, we need some Catholic sisters in our infirmary here mm-hmm. in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic man says, hmm. So he turned around and came back to the bishop in Jackson with this word, we need some Catholic sisters. And Monsignor Gatton, who was here in our cottage with Monsignor Hogg, was at that time at the head of the Catholic Hospital Association. So he got the word from the bishop in Jackson, who gave the word to Sister Amelda, Mother Amelda, who then sent two sisters down to Jackson to see about the infirmary. And what did they learn? Why? it would take $100 worth of soap just to clean up the building, (laughs) says one of them. But anyway, the sisters went and rolled up their sleeves and began to clean out the dirt in the Jackson Infirmary. And then it was downtown where there was no place for expansion in between other buildings. So they wanted land and the people of Jackson, the hierarchy, whatever, didn't want those Catholic sisters in Jackson, so they let them have that hill outside of town. They could put their hospital out there on that hill. And today, it's right there on Highway 55 at an exit, fully visible when you come down the road north or south to see St. Dominic's up there on the hill. That is a very abbreviated
0: history of how we ended up at Saint Dominic's in Jackson, but I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share? The people who listen to our podcast are lots of our associates and friends, but young people enjoy mm-hmm. hearing Flowcast too. What what would you what word of wisdom might you leave for our I'm listeners? just so
1: grateful that we have associates now. They are so helpful and they are so friendly.
2: They just add a lot to our community, I think. I am grateful. I would say if there's anyone out there about wondering what to do with their life, just to relax and ask the Lord, what should I do? How can I do? Where should I do? And some word will come through from an individual or from the Lord himself. Where should I go? What should I do?
0: Good questions. And they will be answered as we know. Yes. Yes.
2: Pray until something happens. Is that your motto? P-U-S-H is a good word. Pray until something happens. That's a push toward the Lord.
0: Great. Thank you for that, Sister Thecla. How wonderful for me to be with both of you this afternoon, Sister Celestine and Sister Thecla. It's been a joy to hear a little bit more about your story this has been flowcast a production of the dominican sisters of springfield we're telling stories of people changing lives in hopeful ways and certainly both of you have done that over the years if you enjoyed this episode we hope you will share it with your friends and invite them to like and follow us they can search for us at flowcast listen and you and your friends can get each week's episode in your inbox by subscribing at flowcastlisten.org. A big thanks to my friends on the Flowcast team, Brandon Durham and Jean-Ann Miller, who are here helping us make this a wonderful experience for everyone. Until next time, know that you are blessed.